thank you, team, for leading us this morning. I trust that the theme of your song is that you are focused on Christ as a way of life, and that's what we're going to be thinking about this morning. But I'd like you to imagine what it would be like if you were part of a group of believers and you were all brand new followers of Christ, but no one had a Bible. Now, you didn't have an online reference to go to. You, you had no one to turn to. You just knew that you believed in Christ, but you had no scriptures, and you didn't have a lot of other teaching. It would be so very easy for that group that you'd be part of to get off track a little bit, basically because they wouldn't have their own ideas to guide them to interpret and apply it, uh, they'd be vulnerable to wrong teaching and wrong ideas and practices. So back in the first century, the young church at Colossae was in that situation. They were in danger. And the apostle wrote this letter in the book of Colossians to them to warn them about getting caught up in beliefs and practices that would take their focus off Christ. And it was his major his major solution for them is to be Christ-centered. To be Christ-centered in what they believed and how they lived. And he cared deeply for them. They were on his heart. He had never met them, but he heard about them through his associate Epaphras, who had probably was a church planter and who had led them to Christ and had taught them things that Paul would have taught them. And he wanted God's best for them. And so I'm going to invite you to stand as we read from the screen. Uh, You just follow from the first ten verses of Colossians chapter 2. And and just picture this this personal as if Paul were saying this to you. I want you to know how hard I am for you, uh, how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. Laodicea was sort of a sister church plant. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body... I'm present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Let's pray together. Father, we receive these words as if they were spoken personally to us through the Apostle Paul but guided by your spirit to give us the truth about Christ and to keep us centered in him. 
We ask for your blessing upon us as we look in your word today. Open our hearts and our minds so that we may receive and believe and follow. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> I'm using the NIV translation, so that may be a little different if uh, you have another translation. Paul models some very basic things. A couple of things he models here is really important for us. First, he demonstrates <clears throat> caring about the spiritual welfare of people of faith who are in our life circles. And you have some. You may be sitting beside, hopefully are sitting beside one of those this morning. We are our brother's keeper in the body of Christ. Sometimes we may resent people poking their nose into our life, but we are our brother's keeper, and Paul models that. And we need to care about what's going on in each other's relationship with Christ. And the other thing that Paul demonstrates is intentionally coming alongside others to encourage them in their walk with the Lord. Intentionally. Uh, making it his business. Now, Paul, as you may know, was in chains in a Roman prison at this time, so he does the next best thing by writing this letter to them. Now, the, the, the best thing, of course, is face-to-face -face when we're coming alongside others or helping them in their walk with Christ. But technology gives us a next best thing when we're not able to do that. <clears throat> we can telephone, we can teach, we can FaceTime. And I've had the privilege for the last couple of years of speaking into and walking with a young adult's life who left the area <clears throat> in the St. George area and went to live and work in Australia. And it's a joy to share biblical perspectives with her about the personal challenges that she faces and decisions she's dealing with and to pray with her and support her. Now, it's nice to be able to do that with someone in another country, but it's also nice to do that with someone very close to you. So I'd like to encourage you as we think about this this morning to think of someone, some specific person that you can support in their life of following Christ. And that includes your family, someone in the church family, other believers in your daily path. So I invite you to look at the second chapter of Colossians with me and see how Paul communicates with his readers and motivates them to keep Christ-centered. Uh, there are three things that we will highlight that also speak to us. First of all, Paul shouts out a red alert but spiritual danger in their midst, a very, the very dangerous influence of getting their focus off Christ. And we, knew, we too need to be alert to misleading teaches, teachings or practices or encouragements that would take our focus off Christ. We have to watch for anything that competes with Christ. There are many things that want to suck our attention and our energy as believers and compete with keeping our eyes focused on Christ and keeping at the center. 
And the believers in Colossae faced competing voices for their attention and energy as people of faith. So Paul is writing to them and saying in verse 4, I tell you so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. And in verse 8, the beginning of verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies. Does that sound familiar? It's very current. Their culture admired skillful oratory and, and philosophies, human reasonings, fine-sounding arguments and philosophies, hard to argue against. He's such a great speaker. He seems so spiritual. And these voices came from within their, their faith community. See to that no one takes you captive. It's not someone coming from the outside. It's someone very easily involved in some way in their life. And they offer them some spiritual advantages by adopting rules and rituals, very religious rituals, based on human tradition, as Paul says, and the basic principles of this world. The New Living Translation says verse 8 in this way, empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. So they were offering lifestyle regimes and disciplines that would give them a superior spirituality rather than the believers depending on Christ for this. And they were vulnerable to buying in to the program that was being promoted. It was a very real possibility. Uh, verse 16 indicates some of these things that, that were involved. Therefore, do not any, let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. Or in verse 21, do not handle, or this is what they tell you to do, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. And in verse 23, such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. And that's the bottom line. Paul knew so very well how that they could be deceived and be, get, be taken uh, advantage of and become captive because they didn't have the New Testament scriptures as we have them so that they could reference them. Uh, they were like people without Bibles. Well, they were people without Bibles. They, they certainly just got this letter from Paul, so they didn't have that to begin with. And they would end up, sadly, by what he says in, verse, in the last verse of chapter 2, they would end up replacing Christ because he says one or the other instead of, uh, verse 8, instead of depending on Christ, they're depending on these other things to be spiritual. But the sad thing is, these things would not help them restrain sensual indulgence. That's the old nature. That's the sensual desires. That's, that's our natural bent 
the things that the flesh wants to have, the way we, it wants us to think and feel and react. And the sad thing is they would lose out on spiritual victory over the flesh. And that's, that's the worst thing. That's the bottom line. You know, Paul talked about this in Romans chapter 7. The things that I really want to do, I can't. And the things I know I shouldn't do, I end up doing. And who is going to deliver me from this body of death? So try as he might in his own strength, he couldn't have victory over that natural inclinations of the flesh because that's only possible through Christ. So he was committed to protecting these followers of Christ from turning to a system of works that would, quote, fulfill them. And you and I are facing competing voices for our attention and energy as people of faith. We may not think about that, but let's be open to that thought this morning. We need to watch out for anything that takes the focus off of Christ. Our culture idolizes self-improvement and self-fulfillment. The bandwagon of life coaches, (laughs) they're everywhere, and I apologize if you're a life coach, offering courses and products to make us successful, a better me, a better you, and some put a spiritual spin on it and what they're promoting. Some of us elders are familiar with this in an AGC church in, in not too far away where people are coming in and wanting to promote things with a spirituality attached to it. It's just their little home business products. But it gets the focus off Christ. It takes us down a wrong road. You need, uh, or some of these voices come with, from within the faith community. There are speakers that we may listen to or go to hear, authors. There are books. You may have them in your hand or they may be on your iPad. There's a TV, the internet. So many voices that focus on and major on self-improvement and fulfillment. If you do this, if you follow my teaching, it's, it's a Christian industry. That's all it is. You need something more in your experience in order to be a fulfilled follower of Christ. And I have it. We need to be discerning. We're vulnerable to being misled by attractive and appealing personalities and teaching. Feel good teaching. God wants you to be happy and successful so that you walk away from church every Sunday saying, I'm so happy, happy, happy. But you haven't had the needs in your life truly addressed. It's not necessarily focusing on Christ. Even a sincere pastor can get tunnel vision about a biblical truth and take it to a level of teaching or application that is not supported in Scripture. And I was told about, not too long ago, about several years ago, a pastor had taken a a positive from Scripture and then 
applied the same theological doctrine to a negative, which the scripture doesn't support, and eventually he took his church out of the church denomination. Well, that could never happen to us. It was a sister AGC church in this province. I don't think that person intended to do that, but that's what happens when we get, we can get focused on how we interpret it and how we apply it, and it takes us beyond what the scriptures really call us to do. So we need discernment. And I read this very interesting quote from uh, Charles Spurgeon. He's talking about discerning, discernment. Discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. Discernment is knowing the difference between right and almost right. If an ocean liner just gets one degree off course, it's so innocent, eventually it's way off course. And that's why we have to have discernment. And we can end up losing out on the victory we have in Christ over our sinful natures and desires. So what is, Paul will talk about this in the Galatian epistle, chapter 5. If we walk in the Spirit, we will not give in to the lusts of the flesh, for the flesh has desires that are against the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit in us has desires that are against the flesh, so that we cannot do what we want. But if we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the flesh. So by seeking freedom in the strength of the flesh, it only leads us to bondage. So we need to be watchful for those in our circles who are easy prey for this kind of thinking. Our young people, our children, our grandchildren, new believers, some who don't know their Bible. To be Christ-centered, we must major on Christ. We have to get it right about Christ. And that's what this epistle of the Colossians is about. Paul wants them to get it right about Christ. In verse 6, so then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. They are given a very detailed truth about the person of Christ because they needed to have this clear in their minds. And the heresy, we believe that he's dealing with a heresy, is actually an attack on the person of Christ. And even though they may not have been the intent of attacking Christ, these teachers were actually, in effect, attacking Christ because they were taking away from what Paul had taught them. So Paul focuses on the identity of the person of Christ. And in the book of Colossians, we have the most detailed, precise description of the person of Christ in the scriptures. So the Colossians had embraced the truth about Christ through the gospel. So that's what he says. So verse 6, so just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord. In the first chapter, in verse 3, he says to them, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints, the faith and the love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven that you've already heard about in the word of the truth, the gospel that has come to you. 
So they had believed firmly in Jesus Christ. They had a Christ-centered faith. Jesus Christ is our Lord. That's how they got into the walk of Christ, and that's how any of us get into the walk of Christ. So Paul is emphasizing the deity of Christ here and the spiritual benefits they have in Christ. Chapter 1, verse 15 he says, look at what we have in Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Chapter 2, verse 9 to 15 for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead." And Paul in the Ephesians will say, we've been raised up to sit in heavenly places with him. That's what we have in Christ. Everything about God is centered in Christ. He's the fullness of God. And they had been given, the, they had been given this fullness of Christ through their faith in him. Notice verses 9 and 10. You, you, you need to make this a part of your arsenal haven't memorized or referenced. This is the heart of it. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, but we don't stop there. And you and I have been given this fullness in Christ when we are in Christ. We have all that we need spiritually. There was nothing left to get. Nothing left to make them more spiritual. Their sin debt had been taken care of, and they were spiritually alive with Christ. That's why he will say in chapter 3, verse 1, since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Paul knew that protection from getting their eyes off Christ was for them to know that everything they needed spiritually was in Jesus and in their relationship with him. We're talking about basics. You know, if you're in sports or in arts or whatever, you're always working on the basics, always practicing the basic things to be effective. And we need to always be focused on the basics. And Paul knew uh, they needed this. And we need to be clear about the person of Christ. We need to get it right about Jesus, the very core of our faith. He is the absolute fullness and completeness of God. And we're surrounded by voices that deny or are wishy-washy on Jesus' deity. It would be an interesting exercise, and you may have done it, just to ask someone casually, um, how would you define Jesus? Or what's your understanding of who Jesus is? And you'll get some very interesting comments. That, that could also be a little door opening to a further conversation. It's an innocent, but it's a, it's a, a genuine question. You know, what do you think of Buddha or Muhammad? What do you think of Jesus? So we're not very far away from those who knew the, wor 
who use the New World Translation. This is how they translate John chapter 1, verse 1. And notice how they translate it. This is what John 1, 1 says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, use your discernment. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. Small g. Discernment? Discernment is not knowing right from wrong. It's knowing the difference between right and almost right. And there are many people that are pretty fuzzy when it comes to who Jesus really is. Is he God? Always has been God. Always will be God. He was fully God, fully human on earth. So we never want to get tired of hearing that. And that's why Pastor George chose, when he first came here, to go through the Gospel of John. And yes, it may take us years. (laughs) But he wanted us all to be on the same page. And that's so important. So take it as an opportunity for us to keep on the same page. The truth about the pre-existent Messiah. Teach it to young children. My wife taught uh, preschool children at Sunday school. And that's, that's the most, um, well, that's, that's the building blocks. And if you're in preschool ministry, or you're a mother, or father, grandparent, this is the time to put those building blocks in place about the identity of Christ. Because kids just take that and it becomes part of their DNA. Now, it's hard to explain the Trinity. If you're talking about God and then Jesus and the Holy Spirit, I know that's difficult, but we need to work at it. The important thing is Jesus has always existed. He he existed forever before he came to earth. That's the main teaching for little children. Sunday nights, we're starting up again on Know What You Believe, and that's an opportunity. If you haven't uh, been able to get to them, uh, you can... Join us on Sunday night starting next Sunday night, I believe, with Know What You Believe. We need to get it right about Jesus being the fullness of God that we have in Christ, uh, verses 9 and 10. You have been given and you possess all there is of the fullness of Christ when we're in him. Everything for our spiritual completeness is already ours because we're in Christ. We're in a vital spiritual union with him. So don't get on the treadmill of running to every program, every concert, trying to find joy and completeness in your spiritual life. The secret is in Jesus alone. To be Christ-centered for us, we must be Bible-centered for the truth about Christ. I found this little Uh, writing on Facebook. Yes, I I am on Facebook. That's mainly for my extended family. It's a benefit there. So it's entitled, Girl, Read Your Bible. So you can, this could be men too. It applies to everybody. But you can appreciate, this is a, a woman saying to her fellow sisters, 
girl, read your Bible. You can eat all the kale, buy all the things, lift all the weights, take all the trips, trash all that doesn't spark joy, wash your face and hustle like mad. But if you don't rest your soul in Jesus, you will never find peace and purpose. Want to say amen? <laughs> Women, right? <laughs> but it's tempting. I know it's out there. Paul emphasizes this in, in our basic text in verse 6. So then, as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. So what he's really talking about is, in the next verse, keep going deep with Christ. Keep going deep with Jesus. Rooted and built up in him and strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. What is Paul doing here? He's exhorting the Colossian believers to keep living a Christ-centered life. It was a must for them. It's, it's a present imperative if for, for you linguists. He's saying, you've got to do this. You've got to keep continuing to live in Christ. It's a must for your benefit. But it doesn't just happen. They needed to be intentional. They needed to keep, keep anchored in Christ, keep rooted in him, and they needed to keep focused on Christ, who he is and what he has done. And they needed to be kept being built up in Christ in their union with him. This, uh, in other words, Paul wanted these Colossian believers to keep going deep with the Lord. The Christ-centered life would strengthen them in their faith and would result in a life of gratitude to the Lord that would flow out of being a Christ-centered person. And you and I need to keep our relationship with the Lord Jesus current and fresh. We need to continue to live in Christ the same way we began with Christ. It's a must. It's a must. How do we begin? Well, for, for each of us, it was a different place, a different time, but to begin with, Christ is to own the truth about who he is as the Savior and the Lord and to embrace him in that, in that relationship and understanding. There is this initial believing the gospel and the truth about Jesus for salvation. It's his death and resurrection that he did for us. And we rest our life and our soul and our eternity on that, recognizing we are a sinner and need a savior. And that's what we begin with. That starts us on this journey with Christ. And we continue by continuing to embrace Christ and live under his lordship. He's emphasizing here Christ Jesus as Lord. Now, it's much more than biblical knowledge. This isn't just reading the Bible more and understanding more and getting all the information and becoming as, as literate as we can biblically. This is about building our relationship with a person. Now, we, we, we can't take this too far, but in courtship, a couple builds their relationship with each other. And in 
our relationship with Christ, it's daily dependence on him. It's personal conversations with him. It's daily submission to him. Because it's instinctive for us to think and to act in a self-centered way, not a Christ-centered way, me-centered. Not in a bad way, but that's just the way we're wired. To think the way we want to think, the way we, what appeals to us, without a reference to what Christ says. Jesus lived out a God-centered life on earth. Not my will, but your be, yours be done. Even if I have to go to the cross and not only die there and suffer, but to take the judgment of God, take all the sins of the world on myself, and then bear the eternal judgment of God on my soul. Not my will, but yours be done. That's a Christ-centered, God-centered life. And I, I would challenge you to pray that prayer not in a general way, but think of the issues. Even though this is what I have to face, or this is what I might face, not my will, but yours be done. It's a liberating prayer, let me tell you. It's not, it's not confining, it's not making life sour. That's the source of real joy and freedom. Going deep with Christ is to be a way of life for us. And it will certainly protect us from getting our focus off Christ and keep us from getting caught up in a boring and fruitless Christian life. It will also be a powerful influence on those close to us as they watch us live out our Christ-centered life. So I'm going to have us read this prayer together and just remain seated as we pray and then the team will come to lead us in our closing song, which is I Surrender All. But this is a portion of a, a prayer, the humble servant prayer. It's going to be on the screen. And so I invite you to read it out loud with me and make it your prayer, personalize it, and expresses the spirit and the passion of a Christ-centered life. So together, O Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Have all of me. Please advance your kingdom through me. May I be a tool in your tool shed, a pen in your fingertips, a pot of clay shaped by your hands, an instrument that plays to the tune of your grace. I want to serve you. I want to wait on you. I need these moments, these times of just you and me. I will bow down. I will serve you. I will honor you with my life. I'm all yours, today and always, given to your purpose alone. Lord, please use me. Amen.